Today, remembering 9-11. It was just as if our world had changed. It would, would never, ever again be the same. And what's the state of patriotism in America? I don't understand that perpetual ingratitude. Well, no matter what happens in this country, it's bad. It always was bad. It always will be bad. That's baloney. Plus, how can grandparents have a bigger influence on their grandchildren? And there's nothing wrong with having fun with grandkids. In fact, you know, I hope that's a piece of what you do. But if that's the end totality of what is happening with the grandchild, it just doesn't go far enough scripturally. It's the weekend of September 9th and 10th. I'm Jeff Shambly, and this is The Stand Radio. Patriot Day is this Monday, September the 11th. For those of us who are old enough to remember the attacks on that morning, the sounds and images will always be engraved in our minds. We asked Randall Murphy, the editor of The Stand magazine for over 40 years, to help us recall that morning. We had a small television set on a desk in a corner of our office suite where uh, my staff and I worked. I think there were four of us on our full-time staff at the time. But we were right next door to the uh, data processing department, which was a much larger number. And when we first heard news of what had happened, uh, we, we thought there's, there must be some mistake. But we turned on the little television set, a little, little black and white television, as I recall. And sure enough, right away, we saw uh, a replay of the first crash into the first building. Uh, again, we, we thought, even, even then, we thought there must be some error here. This, uh, but it was only minutes before the second plane hit the second tower of the World Trade Center. And we knew that, that we, in, in Tupelo, Mississippi, we felt under attack. I mean, it, it was frightening. Mm-hmm. It was, it was just as if our, our world had changed. It would, would never, ever again be the same. We live in the land of the free, a nation united by our common belief. Tell us what it was like when you were growing up and what people felt concerning their love for their country. Patriotism, when, when I was a kid, patriotism was second nature. I mean, it, it was just a part of our family. It was a part of the school day uh, where we went and saw the American flag every day and where we said the Pledge of Allegiance. We were patriots because we lived in the land of the free, the land that gave us great, uh, just unequaled opportunities from anywhere else in the world. Randall, thank you so much for your 40 years of service here at the American Family Association and as now editor emeritus of The Stand. And we appreciate your perspective. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you. We will not fail. We will not fall. We will stay. We will not fail. We will not fall. We will stay. Up next, what happened to patriotism in the U.S.? 
Dr. Jerry Newcomb is Executive Director of Providence Forum, a division of D. James Kennedy Ministries. He wrote an article that we carried in the Stan blog titled, A Shame to Be an American, in which he made some great comments regarding the women's U.S. soccer team's negative reaction when our national anthem was played. Dr. Newcomb, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Jeff. Good to be with you. It's hard to remember a time in our nation's history when the playing of the national anthem brings the kind of controversy that we see today. Yeah, I think it's amazing that we have so many opportunities in this country. There are people who risk their lives in order to try and get here to enjoy what we enjoy every day. But then you have these people who've grown up here all their lives and don't realize uh, you know, the whole American experiment and what it's all about, which, by the way, can be summarized in two phrases, self-rule under God. That's what America is, self-rule under God. Well, the women's soccer team was in an international contest in Vietnam. The Vietnamese players showed the pride for their country in the pre-game ceremonies as they did their particular anthem. And then when we had our national anthem, most members of the U.S. women's soccer team stayed silent, like they're ashamed to be uh, uh, Americans. It's just really an amazing turn of events. And, you know, years ago, I, I had the privilege to interview Jeremiah Denton Jr. He was a senator uh, in, for Alabama, representing Alabama in the U.S. Senate in the 1980s. But before that, he had been a prisoner of war held by the Vietnamese for eight years and four months, and he was tortured. It was terrible. He wrote a whole book about it called When Hell Was in Session. Well, when he was finally released through some sort of prisoner exchange or something like that, in 1973, he gave this short little speech, and he said, and I, and I quote this in the article, we are honored to have had the opportunity to serve our country under difficult circumstances. We are profoundly grateful to our commander-in-chief and to our nation for this day. God bless America, end quote. What a different attitude, you know, than these, these soccer uh, players who had the opportunity to grow up in America and to, to fulfill their dreams and pursue what they wanted to do and what they feel that they're good at. And I'm sure they're very good at it compared to other, um, you know, people and so forth to, to get to such a high level. And yet they don't recognize the opportunities that this country has. And instead they just, they harp on the negatives that the country is working towards correcting anyway. So it's just, uh, to me, I don't understand that, that perpetual, ingratitude. Well, no matter what happens in this country, it's bad. It's always bad. It always was bad. It always will be bad. That's that's baloney. I think there are definitely some Marxists in this country, many of them, who cultural Marxists, who really want to see the country as founded, destroyed, and then rebuilt as some sort of new Marxist utopia. But it won't be a utopia. It will be bad because Marxism is bad everywhere it goes. Do you think that this team represents um, a broader sense of ingratitude among many younger Americans today? You know, unfortunately, I think that's probably the case. I, I do think it certainly represents the elite's the perspective of, you know, many of the intelligentsia that, that kind of 
control so many of the levers of power, the uh, cultural institutions, and so forth. But there is a growing sense of lack of patriotism among young people today. And, you know, in some ways, can you blame them when they're taught all kinds of things uh, that are bad about America and American history, and uh, they're not taught the other side of it, you know, the the good side of things. I mean, for example, uh, at, at the time that America was founded, slavery was virtually universal in all kinds of different countries. The The crazy thing is not that the founding fathers allowed for slavery in order to become a unified country and then set up things in the framework by which slavery could one day be eliminated, which it was because of the framework that they created. But uh, the, you know, they were light years ahead of so many of the other nations where uh, you know, slavery was practiced. I mean, even to this day, it's estimated that there's more slaves in this world uh, than there were at the time of legalized slavery, and that's just partly because we have you know far more people you know population wise. But unfortunately, young people today going through the average American school, they're taught so much about the bad things about America in in times past, things that were not unique to America, and they're not taught about the good things. And so I think it's a very skewed picture. And by the grace of God, I was able to make a series of films uh, for ProvidenceForum.org, and the films are called, uh, the series is called The Foundation of American Liberty uh, Series, which is really all about our Judeo-Christian roots, seven one-hour-long documentaries, and and some of these deal with these very issues, and uh, some of the guests that we have on there, like Dennis Prager, he says, you know, these children are taught Today, they're taught about America's badness, but they're not taught about America's goodness and uniqueness, you know. And uh, other guests uh, include Eric Metaxas and Oz Guinness and Bill Federer and Alveda King, the niece of Martin Luther King Jr. And at, at the end of the day, I think God did something exceptional with America in creating this 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 country where, again, we have this unique, uh, you know, situation where uh, it's the consent of the governed under the will of God. As Dinesh D'Souza put it, he was from India and so forth and makes his wonderful films. But he said in one of his films, I love America because here in America, you can write your own script. <laughs> and that's that's exactly right. And that's because we have those freedoms because of self-rule under God. So every one of those soccer players that you know, uh, protested silently the national anthem, the American national anthem. They did so even though here in America they could write their own script. It's just like the the the, the people that say there was a, a commentator, uh, a journalist and so forth on television. I think he even said this on The View where he said the Constitution is trash mm. and we need to, you know, mm. scrap it and so forth. That's what you do with trash. You throw it away. And uh, but this fellow has his right to even be able to say such things because of the freedom under the Constitution. Right. <laughs> the Constitution is the most durable uh, governing document uh, in the history of the world. It's certainly the most longest lasting national uh, constitution, uh, you know, at this present time. And why is it durable? Because it was based on biblical principles. Ultimately, it was the biblical concept of covenant that gave rise 
to the American Constitution, beginning with the Mayflower Compact 150 years before the Constitution was written. The Pilgrims and the Puritans were thinking through freedom. They were making these agreements for self-government as covenants, as they found in the Bible. Covenants under God, you know, the will of the people under God. That is the essence of the American experiment. And unfortunately, a whole slew of young people today are not taught about these things. They know nothing about American exceptionalism. And frankly, if they could spend a little time in some other countries and realize Mm -hmm. what they have here, they would understand why are there so many people, in some cases, even risking their lives, clamoring to try and get a shot to come here to America. And the answer is because of the freedoms that the founding fathers unleashed by biblical principles. What can we as parents do practically uh, to foster gratitude among our children for the blessings of uh, living in this country? Well, I think there is definitely a need to supplement uh, the education. I think the average, there are a lot of situations where people basically uh, feel, parents feel that they can't afford, let's say, to send their child to a Christian school. Maybe the uh, homeschooling is not necessarily a very good option for them or, or whatever. Bottom line is, uh, unfortunately, much of what is taught uh, at the direction of the teachers' unions and so forth in America today denigrates America. And, I mean, even even basic things like telling about the story about the pilgrims and, and Thanksgiving. Sometimes Thanksgiving is distorted as a day uh, where, well, that's when the pilgrims gave thanks to the Indians. That's what they used to say. Now they basically say, oh, pilgrims. Thanksgiving is a day we shouldn't even celebrate because that's when the pilgrims stole land from the Indians. That's not true. What we can do, I think, is just is avail ourselves of these kinds of resources, uh, you know, to, to learn the truth. But at the very minimal, uh, supplement this kind of information uh, to your children. Uh, we, we've been robbed of our heritage. Uh, when it comes to America, so many of the founding fathers were Christian in their their beliefs, even the ones that weren't directly Christian, as as one scholar put it, they knew the Bible down to their fingertips. Mm. We have so much to be thankful for, as you've outlined so well there, Dr. Newcomb. Thank you so much. And and I would encourage our listeners to visit the website providenceforum.org. And uh, as Dr. Newcomb said, avail yourself of all of these great resources uh, to be active in the lives of your children. And uh, the future is at stake, frankly. Dr. Newcomb, thanks so much for your time. Thank you for your work, and uh, thanks for sharing with us today. Oh, thank you, Jeff, for the opportunity. Still to come, we'll look at the biblical role of grandparents and the enormous influence they can have. Grandparents' Day is coming up next Sunday, and we wanted to give you something to think about that might just challenge the way you've thought about grandparents. Dr. Josh Mulvihill is the executive director of Church and Family Ministry at Renew a Nation. Among his many books, he's written one called Grandparenting, where he lays out the roles and blessings of being a grandparent from a biblical perspective. If you will, take us back to the ideal. What is God's design for grandparents that we see in the Scriptures? 
So if you asked me to summarize in a single word uh, the ideal or the role that God has for grandparents biblically, I would say it's a disciple maker that needs to be the vision, uh, shape the purpose, uh, drive the interactions overall. So, um, and I'll just give you some examples. This, you know, hopefully this isn't just Josh's perspective. You know, let's actually go to the Bible. But Deuteronomy 4.9 is what I would consider to probably be the most concise passage in the Bible on the role of a grandparent. It says, um, teach these things to your children and your children's children. And that word and uh, becomes pretty important that it's not just about parenting from a disciple-making standpoint, but it is and about grandparenting, children's children. You know, grandparents are given a teaching role scripturally. It's probably the most common method the Bible um, talks about with the role of a grandparent. And I think in context of Deuteronomy 4, the teaching that is prescribed is the law of God. That's in Deuteronomy 5. That's where where we get the Ten Commandments. Uh, So you can kind of think about, you know, grandparents are to teach God's law. My second most favorite passage is Psalm 78. Uh, which talks about a four-generation vision. Uh, Psalm 78, 6 and 7 uh, talk, uh, provides um, four gen. You can read through that. It has four generations uh, and uh, talks about telling your testimony and teaching the law of God um, for, through four generations, which kind of is a mind-blower when you think about it. Um, so it's not just about children. Psalm 78 says it's not even just about grandchildren. God has this really big family discipleship vision for us that even includes our great-grandchildren. This is like a hundred-plus year of discipleship vision, and God gives some of the methods to accomplish that. It's teaching God's law, which, um, you know, that for many people, you know, think about what does that mean by teaching God's law? Uh, simply, you know, when we when we teach God's standards of, of what is right and wrong and how we're to live in obedience to them, it, not only does it become very evangelistic because we realize, man, I haven't kept these standards, but it also helps us walk in obedience. And that is, you know, that's the Great Commission. Uh, teach, you know, guys, what Jesus said in Matthew 28, um, you know, teach them to obey all I have commanded, and we get that kind of terminology in the family passages in the Bible, which is why I say this is about family discipleship and grandparents are disciple makers. I, I see God pulling that language into, into the family, and the, you know, the, the Teach God's Law deals with helping children and grandchildren know what's right and wrong. And man, how important is that? Is that in our world today when it seems like that's upside down and everybody, you know, our culture's got it backwards. They call what is evil good and what is good evil. Uh, And God, you know, as parents and grandparents, God expects us to teach God's law, what's right and wrong, and and expects us to live according to that. Uh, And then tell the testimony, Psalm 78, what a what an impactful way for grandparents to influence the faith of their grandchildren by telling their testimony and the the point of psalm seventy eight with with telling testimony it's not about us um, it is our our story is the pointer 
uh, to Christ. Uh, we're not the point. And so Psalm 78 talks about, you know, talk about the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. A testimony is to be very God-centric. It's to make a big deal about God, not a big deal about ourselves. And that's one of God's methods for both grandparents as well as parents to help build the faith of of, uh, of future generations. And so grandparents can be thinking, you know, grandparents, how, you know, have you shared about how you came to faith with your grandchildren and how God has worked in your life and how he's provided for you? And, um, you know, and, and have you shared that? And, you know, those are great opportunities um, to build the faith of your grandchildren. And of course, Psalm 78, that passage I shared ends by saying, uh, we do all these things so that the next generation places their hope in God and uh, keeps his commandments. So here's salvation, hope is salvation. You know, that's what we want for our grandkids more than anything else. We want to spend eternity with them. And here God's given us the means towards that end, and then we want them to walk in obedience to God's commands. Uh, man, that just hits at the heartbeat of all of us as parents and grandparents. And here God is telling us the, the ways to get towards that. You know, grandparents of good hearts, a lot of have um, that intention, but it's not translating into action for many of them. So this is where having biblical clarity is the first step of importance for, for those grandparents. In our modern culture, Josh, what do you see as the biggest misconception when it comes to understanding the role of grandparents? I think a lot of Christian grandparents have have absorbed culture's ideas about what they're to do with their grandchildren. And this isn't intentional by a lot of grandparents, but our culture, I'll summarize what I think culture tells grandparents in two words, to be indulgent and to be independent. So indulgence you, if you're a Christian grandparent, you hear this all the time. Your job is to spoil your grandkids and have fun. And when it comes to faith, you're to send them home where the real work of Christian formation is then done. And, you know, maybe I like to summarize it by saying your job essentially uh, for many is to pray and play. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with having fun with grandkids. In fact, you know, I hope that's a piece of what you do. But if that's the end totality of what what is happening with the grandchild that just doesn't go far enough scripturally. And so it's, this is where becoming intentional in all the activities and the times together becomes really, really important. So I like to say to grandparents, we want to move from Christian grandparenting to intentional Christian grandparenting, move past that indulgence kinds uh, of mindset. And then the independence one, uh, essentially our culture really, really strongly separates the the immediate family from the extended family and says there needs to be a lot of independence there, tells the older generation, and really tells the younger generation too, but but tells the older generation, you should not uh, rely upon your family, you shouldn't be a burden to them, you shouldn't overstep your bounds, and therefore it creates this huge separation, and it puts grandparents at the periphery, uh, we're really with no important role to play in the family other than being that special fun grandparent. And so it doesn't leave them with a lot of opportunities to make those significant influences if that mindset is adopted. So we 
we need to just call it out for what it is. And we, and what I want for grandparents to do is to recognize it and to reject it. So when you hear the, you're the spoiling grandparent thing, you got to say, you know, that's fine as a far secondary thing, but it can't be the primary. You know, I need to reject this as the, as the focus of my role as a grandparent. And, uh, and so that, I think that's where a lot, I say the, the misunderstanding comes in what is the primary role of a grandparent. We got to have biblical clarity there. And then the activity, the interactions, the relational, um, the relationships, they, they are dominoes that start to flow from that. You speak to grandparents a lot. What would you say to the grandparent who might be listening today and feels overwhelmed when they've heard all that you've talked about and they really don't know where to begin? Would you give us some easy steps for starting this process? Uh, the, here's the, the secret question. If you want to begin to change some things in your world with adult children, here's the secret question to ask them. You know, this doesn't need to be like uh, a, a huge deal. Uh, it shouldn't be scary walking in, but I think you could ask them this single question. Take them out to coffee, call them on the phone if it's long distance. Just ask them, how can we help? Leave it at that. See what they say. And then uh, whatever it is they say, if it's within reason, uh, say yes. You know, even if it's, um, you know, you're, you're wondering, how does this connect to grandparenting? How can we help? Um, because if you want to increase the, you want to increase the impact, I think there's a couple things you could do. One is increase the time. And that, that, you know, that, question helps get you towards that. How can we help increase the time? Or the other lever you pull is decrease the distance. Uh, you know, I, a majority of grandparents have some long distance grandparenting. It's just the reality of their world. Some of that's not by, you know, some can't change that. Some can. Uh, and, uh, and it may be a legitimate consideration to pray about. Uh, should we, should we think about relocating in order to have a greater role in some or all of our grandchildren's lives. Um, that's not a reality for a high percent, but it could be for some. Um, so, I'd, you know, I'd throw those out. How can we help increase the time? You know, what does that look like? Uh, you could do that through travel, through technology, uh, through having an active presence. If you're in the same city, if you're not, uh, be willing to travel and use technology. Well, Josh, you've given us a lot to think about today and have helped us understand better the role of grandparents. We'd like to mention your organization. It's called Renew a Nation. The website is renewanation.org, where our listeners can find all kinds of resources on helping children to get a biblical worldview. Good work going on there. Dr. Mulvihill, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Jeff, and blessings to everyone. We'd like to thank our guests today, Randall Murphy, Dr. Jerry Newcomb, and Dr. Josh Mulvihill. The song, We Will Stand, was written and performed by Eric Horner. Coming up next week, Frank Turek joins us to show how we can respond biblically to questions about gender identity. And Jordan Shambly will be with us to talk about children and social media and what parents can do to counteract the lies they hear with biblical truth. We hope you'll join us. The Stand Radio is a weekly roundup of important matters concerning our culture, our faith, and our families. You can get a more in-depth look at today's topics at afa.net slash the stand. You can also sign up for a free six-month subscription to The Stand magazine. 
It's a great way to stay informed on the latest from the American Family Association and learn what you can do to advance the gospel. For questions or comments, email us at thestand@afa.net. Until next time, I'm Jeff Shambly. Thanks for listening.